Okay, my Nourish, Move and Shine program is back again in January and it is going to be better than ever and I am so excited. So Nourish, Move and Shine is basically a nutrition, training and lifestyle program. It is specifically designed for busy ladies. So busy mums, busy pre- uh, busy, pre- busy, busy professionals and a mix of both. So what is actually involved? I will go through that now, okay? So you will get personalized calories and hand portions, and these will be based on your own personal goals. You will be given food lists to guide your meal planning. You'll be given a recipe ebook, which I'm adding to all the time. So build it, trying to build up a good bank of recipes there. There will be home and gym workout program options, whatever is most suitable to your own lifestyle. Um, you will get a weekly PDF with nutrition, movement and mindset focus for each week. You'll have weekly movement goals. There's a big emphasis on mindset work in the Nourish, Move and Shine program. For example, we focus like one week on discovering your why. Another week we'll focus on gratitude, goal setting, five minute, five minute actions, things like that. So really to try and reframe, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, to reframe your mindset around weight loss and health and fitness in general. So um, we will be building good everyday habits in a slow step-by-step approach. So, you know, focusing on water intake, sleep, steps, relaxation techniques, and just building gradually. So it's all about starting where you are and building from there. And there are weekly check-ins. So you fill in a weekly check-in form and then I get back to everyone individually um, based on their check-in form. And I do chase people. So if you don't have your check-in form done, I will still text you every week being like, this is your check-in now. How did you get on? Um, there's never any judgment. My approach is always very kind and gentle and realistic. I have three kids. I have a busy life. I know what it's like. Things take priority and uh, we never have to be perfect. So that is that is literally my ethos, that we never have to be perfect, but that we try and be somewhat accountable and take, I believe that there's something to learn in every week and we just take what we've learned that week regardless of how it went and move forward. So there's no such thing as failure. It's literally failure is feedback and there's always ways to improve and just make yourself feel that little bit better. So um, there are also optional monthly group hikes. So if you live near where um, where I'm organizing the group hike or you want to make the trip, I usually organize that once a month, which is a lovely way for people to get to know each other in person and just to have someone to go out walking the hills with is great too. Um, I do photo and measurement checks. So you do your photos and measurements at the beginning of the program and you do it halfway through and then again at the end. Um, there is a WhatsApp community. So Nourish, Move and Shine is group coaching. So I communicate through a WhatsApp group mainly. So everyone will get their individual um, calories and their individual emails and their individual uh, check-in forms and all of that. But like day to day, I communicate with everyone through um, through a group chat. And if you have anything specific individually, you can text me directly. Um, And yeah, so daily uh, support through WhatsApp. The next program is starting on Monday, the 9th of January. It is €149 for eight weeks. And there is an option to pay that over two months for €79 per month for two months. So that is totally up to you. If you would like to, um, to sign up, get yourself sorted before the Christmas craziness, then just go onto my website or go onto my Instagram and you will find the link in bio there 
to sign up. So the package link is actually in the website and it's also on my Instagram. So my Instagram is at Kate Hamilton Health. It's also on my TikTok as well, at Kate Hamilton Health. And my website then is www.katehamiltonhealth.com. So you'll be able to access and sign up that way. And then, of course, if you have any questions on it, just always send me a message. So you'll get me mainly on uh, the best place to get me really is Instagram DM. But you can also catch me on email, which is katehamiltonhealth at gmail.com also. So that is everything to do with the Nourish, Move and Shine program. And hopefully I will see some of you in January, ready to feel good and just start the new year winning. Hey everyone, how is it going? Welcome to the podcast this week. So we are on episode 21 and this is a solo episode and I am going to discuss something that I've been meaning to do for ages in detail and I'm just going to do it today. So it is my anxiety story. So this is very much um, a candid recording. I've literally just pressed record. I haven't done any prep, any notes. So none of this is rehearsed. So it might be a little bit. So it's, it's basically me going to tell my story of my struggles with anxiety and um, my experiences and what's kind of led me to where I am today. And so I hope people find some value in it. If you're, if it's not something that you're interested in, then like I won't be insulted. Do flick ahead and listen to something else. That's no problem. But for anyone who has struggled with any mental health issues before, uh, I hope you find some value in hearing my story. So, like I said, I might jump a little bit because I haven't actually written this out chronologically or anything. Um, I also um, I've just pressed record. I'm sitting at my kitchen table. I have a sick five year old at home. So he's in the sitting room currently eating biscuits and watching TV. But he might arrive out mid um, podcast, which I can't actually pause. So because um, when looking at my software, it's just a, a stop button. I can't. I'm sure there is a way to pause, but I don't know how. So um, if he comes out, he'll just end up being part of the podcast. So um, I've no idea how long this will go on. So I'll try and keep it to an hour. If I have more to say, I'll break it into two parts. So we'll just get going. I did record. I recorded my anxiety story before on. I made a video and I put it on YouTube. So it's actually on my YouTube channel. Um, and that that must have been about a year and a half ago that I did that. Um, and I just but then no one really got to see it because at the time I didn't have much of a following. And um, I, I just put it on YouTube, but like no one follows me on YouTube and there was no kind of facility to put kind of that kind of long videos on Instagram at the time. So, um, but it's definitely something that I wanted to do a podcast on. So any of you who have been listening from the start, so anyone who's, um, who's listened to episode one, a bit about me, I do go into this a little bit, um, in, but it's kind of, I literally gave a whole background of me in the first episode, um, from start to where I am. Whereas I just want to make this a little bit more focused around my struggle with anxiety. And, um, yeah, so that so this will be a little bit more focused. So if you actually are just jumping into the podcast um, on this episode or on kind of more recent episodes, it's definitely worth going back and listening to episode one, finding out a little bit about me and my story and um, and then listening to this podcast then. But totally up to you. So um, I suffered with chronic anxiety in my early 20s. So it literally came on me all of a sudden. So the very first time I experienced a panic attack was um, 
I'm trying to think now. I don't know what year it was, but I was 21. I was 21. It was the summer. It was summer 2007. It was the summer just before I started teaching. I was in Dingle with my family, with my mum, my dad and um, my sister. And we were just down for for a few days. We were staying in the hotel and um, I was 21. My sister was Seventeen or something at the time, but um, I like at that stage, like you know, it was you know party, like so we were out at night, we were drinking, and you know it was great, like but that was my life at that stage anyway, um, kind of through college and my late teens through college, early twenties, was drinking every weekend, being out with my friends, having a good time. So I, so myself, my sister, and my mom, I've like I've memories of myself and my sister and my mom sitting up at the hotel bar having drinks, having a great time. I don't know where my dad was; he must have went to bed early, like. Yeah, my dad would be known to have his early pints and go to bed early. But um, so it was three of us sitting up. It's, it's just my re- recollection of it at this stage. And that was fine. And I presume we did that every night of the holiday. And kind of we were walking around then Dingle one of the days. So it must, it must have been like probably around lunchtime. We were walking around all the shops. And suddenly I had this whoosh, like this feeling of literally my soul leaving my body. I um, felt completely out of touch my, with my senses. And... I I thought I was going, I thought I actually thought I was dying. I thought I was going to drop dead or faint or, yeah, like I just, I'd never experienced anything like that, completely detached from my body. Um, it was my first real experience of like kind of separation of body and soul. Like it was, I was like, whoa, what the fuck? So I literally like sat down and I then got, obviously got the shakes because I got such a fright and, you know, I, but I physically thought that something was wrong with me. But that was that. But like, and I, I had we'd been walking around with a hangover. I'm sure it was like dehydrated, hadn't been eating particularly well, and you know, hadn't been looking after myself. I probably hadn't slept well. But it was it, this was like literally a full blown bang panic attack. Um, and that that was my experience of it early on. Was this senses leaving my body? This literally like I am so detached from my body. It's the scariest feeling I've ever had. So that was what. It felt like for a while, um, it didn't happen again. And now to see, I'm ta- I'm talking back now. How long can we talk about? Probably fifteen years now. So it's it's my memory isn't great. But the next big one that I remember happening was so at that that summer two thousand seven, I started teaching. Then in September two thousand and seven, my first teaching job. So I finished school and I started teaching. And I was teaching down in Ashford and I was living at home with my parents in Bray. So I was driving from Bray to Ashford, which is about a 20 minute drive and it's motorway. So it's handy. So I was driving along and the exact same thing happened on the motorway. I thought I was going to die. Literally, I got the biggest fright and obviously even more of a fright here because I um I had to pull in because, you know, obviously it was driving a car. I thought, oh, dear God, am I going to have a seizure? Am I going to have a fit? Am I going to collapse? Am I having a heart attack? What the fuck is going on? Um, so I had to pull in on the side of the road and I rang my dad. My dad came to rescue me. I um, literally left, like, and I was, again, shaking, left my um, car on the side of the road. And my dad was like, what do you want me to do? Like, well, are we, am I bringing you home? Like, and I was like, no, I have to go to work. And like, it's funny that, you know, even my body was screaming out, my mind was screaming out. I didn't know what was screaming out, but I still pushed myself. I still had this thing in me where I constantly had to, like, I didn't like to let people down. I I felt like it was a failure if I couldn't 
go to work if you know I so I pushed through it and I went and I taught like I taught kids that day and I kind of it, it then started to become a vicious cycle because I became terrified of driving but yet I lived in Brainworks in Ashford so I had to drive to work every single day so that became a real source of anxiety and it was a vicious cycle I was you know constantly afraid of driving and afraid of driving home um it would happen a little bit to me sometimes when I'd be on yard duty or I'd be in the classroom um, and I would literally just have to sit down. Or, you know, I remember it, uh, being on yard duty one time and talking to an SNA and, you know, suddenly whoosh, it happened to me. I was like, oh my God, I, I need to sit down. She was like, oh my God, are you okay? Like, and I was terrified that I would, you know, collapse or do something like in front of the kids. Um, but it was always the case once I sat down and kind of gathered myself, it, it went away. But keeping in mind in these early stages, I didn't understand that this was a panic attack. I had never really heard of a panic attack because back in those days, no one was talking about mental health. And like I said, back in those days, like I'm really old, like we're talking 2007 here. People were not talk like it, I was, it was still thought of, you know, mental health. If you have mental health issues that you were weak, that you couldn't cope with life. It, you know, this was, this was the mentality that, that I had grown up with. And, um, I didn't, so I really thought, you know, well, first of all, I didn't, I didn't know it was a panic attack. So obviously went to the doctor, I'd been to the doctor over and over again, did all the blood, they did my blood pressure, they checked everything, everything was fine. I even had one of those heart monitors for 24 hours or 48 hours at one stage to check my heart, nothing wrong there. And finally, um, I was diagnosed with what was called panic disorder. Now, I haven't done too much research on any of it since. But when I was diagnosed with panic disorder, I, in a way I was relieved because it had a name and I realized I wasn't alone, that it was something that was treatable. And once it was treatable, I felt like there was something I could, that, you know, something that could be done. There was hope. Um, because at that stage I'd become so hopeless. I was like, people think I'm making this up. You know, like it, it had gotten to the stage, my anxiety had then developed into, it wasn't just the out of body it would be in the evening time I wouldn't be able to to relax I'd be sitting on my couch and my chest would tighten and I couldn't get a deep breath and I couldn't catch my breath and it was because so, it was just this constant stress so I was breathless and then I was panicking because I thought I was going to suffocate um and it really was a vicious cycle so the uh, the only time that I actually felt normal was when I was drinking so I would drink at the week at like I, I would would never have drank every day anyway so um and like I would never have drank during the day or anything like that but at the weekends I would um you know I would really look forward to maybe even a Thursday night a Friday night and a Saturday night and when I would drink even just after two drinks it would go away and I would feel free and looking back now I just realized that was just you know the kind of solidified my unhealthy relationship with alcohol and of the feeling the feeling of freedom that I would get from alcohol and but it really was my favorite time of the week where I finally got a break from it um but what I couldn't see at the time was that it was the alcohol then was was causing that was making it worse and making it and it was kind of solidifying that vicious cycle so then I would feel like shit Monday to Wednesday I am riddled with anxiety Thursday I'd start to have a little bit of hope because I'm like oh maybe Thursday night we'll get a bottle of wine you know and it, it became yeah, it became it became my life for a long time and it was and I was functioning quite well with it 
But I was really struggling midweek, like really struggling. But because I'm so disciplined and so determined, I just kept it going and um, just kept doing what I needed to do. What's wrong? I'm taking you a drink. I'll get you a drink. Yeah, will you bring me your glass? I'll get you a drink. Just don't step over the wire. Sorry, this is going to happen a little bit with with this podcast. But, you know, I know most of you are mums listening, so you know what it's like. (laughs) So, um. That was my life for a long time um, until I was officially kind of diagnosed with um, the anxiety. And I'll bring you in your drink now in a second, okay? Okay. Okay, good boy, in you go. So once I was was diagnosed, then the doctor put me on Lexapro. So I was put on, I can't remember what milligram I was put on, but um, it was basically a slow serotonin enhancing medication so the serotonin levels in my brain were so low probably from the vicious cycle of constantly drinking with my um stress my constant stress and my negative mindset and everything all tied in together my serotonin levels were fucked so this slowly and gradually brought my serotonin levels back up um and I could start to think a little bit more clearly then, which was amazing. Like it really, now it took about six weeks for that to actually start to build. And um, once once I started to feel better, then he was like, okay, it's time. You need to start CBT now. So I went and I did cognitive behavioral therapy with a fantastic woman called Joan. And she was amazing. And I remember her saying something to me in, um, in therapy like I used to cry every time I'd be there and like I'd be exhausted emotionally exhausted after it but it was the best thing ever I used to look forward to it and just I felt so much lighter leaving but I remember her saying to me at one stage like this is the start of your spiritual journey you're like you're I'm so excited for you like you know there's no going back now and I look back 15 years later and she was so right like she was the start of my journey that I've been on ever since um because I didn't even know how lost I was like I, I hadn't a clue until I started and she showed, she taught me coping mechanisms that she had used and she had experience of similar um, symptoms that I had and had 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 a tough time. And so she so I, I felt like she got me. She knew it. And um, she yeah, she she showed me the way she showed me coping mechanisms and helped me reframe my mindset and like I didn't realize how much of a closed mindset I had in my of how I perceived the world I, I just accepted it as for what it is and never questioned that like I remember saying to her one time that oh I'm so weak if this was olden times and the medication didn't exist I wouldn't have survived and I, I believed that I believed, you know, this whole survival of the fittest, that I wasn't strong enough that I, if, if this had happened to me 150 years ago or 100 years ago, I would have died. That's or I'd have been in a mental institute. That's that's what I believed, like firmly believed. And then she made me think about it again. And she was like, if it was 100, 150 years ago, you wouldn't have had the constant chronic stress that you've been under without even realizing it. like the stress of modern society and I was like oh wow like you know it's just amazing when you just get someone else's perspective so when it comes to to therapy it really like if anyone is feeling stuck just reach out for help like it really really like it, it saved me it saved me from my own negative mindset my own vicious cycle and I was able to break free from it 
Now it took years. Like I, I was, I was in therapy for years. I, um, I was, sorry, I'm trying to think now. I, I started in, I'm trying to think. It would have been early 2008, early 2008. And I was, I stayed on medication up until till I was pregnant with Jaden. And so I was pregnant with Jaden, found out I was pregnant with Jaden summer 2009. And um, I came off the medication, was really anxious about that. It was quite well through my pregnancy in fairness. Um, and I was, you know, I found great empowerment in that. But as soon as he was born, um, postnatally, I was not great. And even when I was in it, I didn't even realise it. And it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. So it like... It, thank God for Dave, like Dave knew he was like, we need to get you back to the doctor now, get back on the medication. And I went back to Joan and I started working on things again. And I picked myself up a lot quicker than I did the first time because I kind of had built the skills and knew what to do. But I remember when he was born, just being terrified. Like I was terrified that I was going to die. I was terrified that he was going to die. I actually remember leaving the hospital and the midwives, I don't know if they still do it now, but they'd handed all these leaflets of all these horrible things that can happen, you know, and cut death leaflets and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, he's going to die. Like I, I just, I, I had a lot of irrational thoughts and I remember sitting on my couch one night and just not feeling like myself. It was my first real experience of what it felt like to be depressed. And I am... Um, it, it, it scared the shit out of me. Thankfully, I was so anxious that I was that I, I was aware that that was that I just didn't feel like myself. Um, and I was like, I need I need to um, I need help. Like, so I went that's when I went back on medication afterwards and I started to feel good again and working on it again. So I stayed on the medication then for a good I stayed on the medication probably until I got pregnant with Layla, I would say. So um, I found out I was pregnant with Layla in summer 2012 and um, I came off the medication. No, I come off medication before I before I got pregnant with Layla. I was in a good place and um, I but I was very aware when I when I was pregnant with her, I was like of the same thing happening postnatally. Um, as what had happened when I had Jaden. Uh, thankfully, I had a really, really great, a really empowering birth experience and she was born naturally. I didn't have an epidural. It was really quick. I felt great afterwards. I loved that I was able to get up and have a shower and um, it was really empowering. I felt really proud of myself. And but we had got we had gone to the doctor and said, look, provisionally, let's get this medication. Let's get let's take this medication after Layla just in case so I had I had the, the medication and I, I once the day she was born I started back on the medication and um, I stayed on it for a couple of months never needed it so I came off it and I have literally never looked back since and but I just think I'm such a firm believer in it, it was needed at the time it was you know I think anyone who's struggling please stop trying to struggle alone I'm not advocating medication i'm not advocating um therapy i'm not advocating the combination of both i'm just saying go to your doctor if your doctor don't won't listen go again go to a different doctor don't be struggling in silence because there is 
always a way around it. And it's amazing when you have someone else's perspective to help you through it, how um, and someone just to pick up the pieces when you need it, how much of a difference it can make to your life. So, um, yeah, like I never looked back. I stayed like I don't even remember when I stopped going to therapy. I haven't been back since Um, I started changing my whole lifestyle. So after I had Layla, I started getting into fitness. Now, it was never a case of getting in. I it wasn't once the kids were small, I like I, I didn't have time or the access to a gym because I was I was teaching and I was at home then with the kids in the afternoon and Dave was at work. So it just it wasn't it wasn't really possible and we didn't really have the money at the time. So I just started doing home workouts and um, I, I used to do the Kayla Itzness BBG workouts, which is now called Sweat. But and she, she's still going. She's got like a, an amazing um, fitness community out there. But it was fantastic. I used to get up early before the kids got up and did my workouts. And it was my first real introduction to fitness. And I just started becoming more aware of my health. I went through little stints then of stopping drinking altogether. And um, then I would, you know, get back into the habit of having um, having a few drinks at the weekend and that kind of stuff. But eventually I got to the point where I was like, I, first of all, I need to stop drinking at home so that was a, that was a huge milestone I made that decision and um it changed everything because I was re I'd really become aware now of how much alcohol was tied in with my um my mental health issues and with my panic attacks and how I just would notice that the only time my anxiety would arise again would be with a hangover so I'm like to this day if I decided to you know go out on the session now tonight and I woke up tomorrow dying hungover by tomorrow evening I would be riddled with anxiety so it frightens me that it comes back so quickly so I now at, at the moment of recording this which is the, the 8th of December 2022 I haven't drank in 2022 at all so I am um, I don't consider myself to have a problem with alcohol and I don't have a problem stopping but if I'm out and I'm having a few drinks I have a problem stopping I like to keep going I enjoy the party and that's the thing, like, you know, I'd always have real FOMO. I like, I love a good party and I love socializing, but it's just my mental health just can't handle it the next day. And that is my main reason why I don't drink. But it was years getting to the point where, where I am here. And it's funny, I've, I'm having kind of mixed feelings coming towards the end of 2022 as to whether I will stay being a non-drinker or whether I will be someone who has the odd glass. But I still... I'm frightened at the thought, like, you know, I like the idea that if I was to go on holidays that when like the one time I kind of missed it this year really was when me and Dave were in Lisbon and we were out for dinner and I'd be like, we'd love to have a glass of wine with dinner or, you know, after dinner, we were wandering around and we were at this lovely outdoor kind of festival thing and it would have been nice to kind of have a beer. Um, but then saying that they had zero beers, so we did that and I just kind of have got into this lovely routine where I like to just kind of be home by midnight now and wake up feeling good and I really enjoy my life that way. Uh, so it's very rare occasions that I would actually miss it. But it's funny, I'm kind of at this point now in December that I'm like, I've done the full year. I'm kind of happy that I did that. And I, you know, being able to take a glass of champagne on a special occasion or having a nice fancy glass of red wine if I was out at a meal. Um, might be something that I consider because I don't consider myself an alcoholic so I feel like I can do that but then I also don't know if I want to there's something in me that's not that that's not sitting well with so I haven't really decided and it took me a long time to get to where I am now and I've never felt stronger in myself I've never felt stronger in my 
my whole being, my my mindset, um, my purpose and why I'm here really um, has become so strong in recent years, in particular since COVID hit and, you know, everything stopped and I really had time to reevaluate my values, what I actually wanted to do, what actually lit me up inside. Um, and in recent years, since I've done all this work on myself and I'm really, really happy with the person that I've become, it just made me realise how clouded so much of my life has been by alcohol and by anxiety and by self-doubt and it like without even being aware and sometimes it makes me sad I kind of I feel like you know I, I lived my 20s even though I had kids in my 20s you know I had a great support system we always got a good social life um and but I do think you know the amount of the amount of drinking that was done and the amount of like there's a lot of it that I'm like I wish I could do over but then I also need to remind myself that I am the person I am today because of my experiences and um, like as one thing I would always always kind of regret a little bit would be that we didn't travel me and Dave didn't travel like we did our weekend to New York which I was really unwell um anxiety wise for which um is, is a regret actually as well that I really want to redo New York because it was just a horrible experience but um we did, like, we did New York, we did Barcelona, we did, you know, we did our, our few little weekends away and we still do every now and again when we can. But we never did the big travel that, you know, a lot of our friends went off to Australia, to Thailand or whatever. We, we didn't because I just mentally wasn't strong enough to do it at the time. I was too anxious. And um, and then obviously I was 23 when we had Jaden. So then we were kind of, we bought the house and we ended up, you know, it's great. We're in a great position now that we've, we've owned our house since 2009. So we're ahead of a lot of our friends when it comes to, you know, things are starting to get a bit easier with, you know, finances in the house and stuff like that, which is great. But I have this now, I'm 36 now and I have this kind of longing in within me. I'm like, I, I need to travel. I need to go here. I need to do this. I need to experience this. And I don't mean take off like for months on end but like I I have this longing to you know like I, I need to do a weekend in Rome I need to do two weeks in France I need to you know I have these di you know different things like I want to go to Iceland and I just I have that travel bug now that most people get in their early 20s and I'm excited to be able to to do that bit by bit for the rest of my life and like you know one of my goals you know as the kids get older is I really want to get one of those camper vans I want not get not just rent one. I want to buy a camper van and just be one of those really embarrassing people that drive around in their camper vans all the time. But so that, you know, me and Dave can just take off and be like, all right, we're just going to drive over to France and then drive around mainland Europe. And, you know, I just want to be able to take off. And people are like, oh, lovely. You're going to get a nice big one for all the kids. I was like, no, I could think of nothing worse. I don't want to do it with my kids. Like my oldest one is nearly 13. We're getting there. Give it another 10 years. We'll head off in our camper van. Oh, 10 years, the smallest one will only be 15. But look, we might be able to escape for, for a few days anyway. <laughs> But eventually that's my plan, camper van. But um, it's, yeah, so I, I have those kind of regrets that I didn't do a bit more traveling then. But I do think that I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And I think that the struggles that I went through with my anxiety, with my mental health issues, with having kids young, with, you know, kind of being in a career that I didn't even realize I was unhappy with, um, finding something that really fulfills me and really finding my purpose and how I can actually kind of help others rediscover their true potential and rediscover, you know, what they're actually, what's possible for them to do for themselves. 
that I feel really, really passionate about. I, you know, I wouldn't have discovered all this or I wouldn't be, be able to help people in the way that I can if I didn't have all those experiences. So because I know what it feels like to kind of hit rock bottom, to feel shit about yourself, to not know where to start. I feel like that I can really connect with people and help them get on the right path when it comes to their health and their fitness um, and their mindset. And I wouldn't be able to do that without the shit experiences that I've had. And then in relation to like teaching, you know, I taught for 15 years and I never hated teaching ever, but I was never one of those teachers that would open my laptop at, you know, 9 p.m. at night. Whereas now as a personal trainer, as an online coach, as a nutrition coach, like sometimes I have to like stop myself from taking out my computer because I want to do more. Um, so that, you know, that, that was a real sign. I'm like, okay, this lights me up inside. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. So when I kind of realized that when COVID stopped and or COVID stopped everything and I was like, I don't know that I want to do this forever. I don't know if I want to be a teacher forever. It was a scary thing. And, you know, anyone I would talk to would be like, you're mad. What about your pension? It's literally a cushy job. You have a job for life. You've no, there's no way you're going to lose your job. And I was like, you know, seniority wise, right, like that's the way kind of the job roles go in schools. You know, if the, there's a lack of teachers, the, the last person in would be the first person out and stuff. So I was like right well up there in the top quarter. So my job was very secure. And um, I just like the, the things people would say, you know, like you'd be mad, you're mad. Like what about the long holidays, the short days, the job security? It's just such a handy job. This, that, and the other. I'm like, yeah, on paper it is. It really is. But I just, and I think a lot of that might've tied in with, with, with some of my anxiety as well is just that feeling of being unfulfilled. And I, I know because like, I've worked with some fantastic teachers over the years, you know, and there's still some fantastic teachers um, in the school to this day. And they're full of passion and they're full of purpose. And I just, and I think they're amazing, but I just never had it. I, I kind of, because I'm hardworking, because I'm diligent, because I kind of push myself, because I'm organized, I did a good job. And I, my job would always be done. Even through my worst mental health struggles, those kids were taught and they were taught the curriculum and they were taught with kindness. And I was always, you know, I looked after them at a detriment to myself. Um. But it made me realize that's like, that's not my passion. And I think that lack of fulfillment was kind of deep within me there as well. And I felt a little bit kind of going around in circles, kind of pointless, whereas all of a sudden I just have this fire inside me where I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be helping people in this way. Um, I have a real passion for nutrition and for health and for fitness and for making a difference. And I just think it's fascinating by just working kindly with people and showing them patience and showing them self-care, how life-changing it can be, because it literally changed my life. Like health and fitness changed my life. And um, it, it's extremely powerful. So I feel really, really strongly about that. And I think that's another reason why I don't, I genuinely don't struggle with mental health issues anymore. I, because I feel like I'm aligned with my purpose. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Um, every now and again, now, because I'm, because I'm so passionate about what I'm doing, I can push myself a little bit to the point of burnout. And then I kind of have to, I'll, little things happen. I might get a slight little heart palpitation or, you know, um, I could, you know, if I was driving, like, cause driving is still, it can still sometimes be a trigger for me. So 
especially driving in the dark. So sometimes, you know, if I was driving in the dark and I'm particularly tired or stressed, it kind of triggers in me something of being like, oh, I feel a little bit panicked, but I need to, and then I have to just calm myself down and be like, no, that's just your subconscious mind remembering the traumatic experiences of panic attacks and driving. You're not actually. So, um, there, there's slight little things that will come up, but it there, I take it as feedback as Kate, you're not looking after yourself as much as you should, because when I look after myself, and I stay aligned with what I believe in and I practice what I preach, then there is um, no sign of it, which is amazing. And I I believe that there's a fine line. I think some people push on without experience, like push on with, st- with chronic stress without um, without noticing any side effects for a long time. But I think it catches us eventually. Now, again, I'm not a doctor. I am not a psychotherapist. I'm not any type of mental health professional. I am a qualified personal trainer and nutrition coach. But so I am talking purely from my own experiences here. But in my opinion, chronic stress is the most dangerous thing in our society today. And most of us are blind to it. I didn't think I was stressed at the time, but I was extremely stressed. I was a stressed out child, stressed out teenager, stressed out young adults, constantly trying to please others, constantly trying to live up to kind of these perfectionism um, standards, which were impossible. Um, but but it was it was kind of ingrained in me. It was it was who I was. I was kind of it was like I was born that way. And I just constantly always it's only it's actually only really in in the past four years, probably that I've really stopped um, trying to like trying to please others and live up to other people's expectations. And I think that it's been so freeing. It's been a little bit hard. I've had had difficult conversations. I know that some people find it hard to adjust to the fact that I possibly won't go back teaching. I'm not saying I won't, but if I decide not to, I know that will be difficult for some people in my life. But there are difficult conversations that will just need to be had because I have to be true to myself. Um, it took me a long time to get there. Um, but back, sorry, back to my point about stress. It Stress is the most, in my opinion, the most dangerous thing. If it doesn't catch you in relation to depression, anxiety, some sort of mental health issues, it's going to catch you physically. Um, you know, when you think about all these chronic diseases out there that are appearing in um, seemingly healthy people, same with, you know, people that are dropping dead all over the place is um, like, obviously there's loads of factors and I'm not a doctor and I'm not an expert. This isn't coming from any type of study, but just in my opinion that I just think a lot of society's problems are tied down to stress and it's something we really, really need to look at. And it's it's not even our fault. It's because it's how society is actually structured that like, you know, work targets and, you know, what's expected of us. And I think it really came to light during COVID. And that's when I decided that I was changing my lifestyle. Like I loved getting up, going for a walk, coming back, working a little bit from my kitchen, you know, having time to spend with my kids and just slowing down a little bit. And I was like, this is, this is what life is supposed to be. And I do believe that that's what we were being taught during that experience and during like during lockdown, especially like during the first lockdown when we when it was scary and we really didn't know what was happening and people were dying of COVID. My dad was in hospital for five weeks um, and we nearly lost him to COVID. It like it was a very, very uncertain, a very, very scary time. Yet 
I also found some sort of peace in it in the sense that I was like, I surrendered the fact I was like, there's fucking nothing. I could, I couldn't even visit my dad. Like he was so sick. He wasn't even like, we couldn't even talk. He couldn't talk to us on the phone. Um, he wasn't replying to texts. We knew he was in there, but you know, it was really uncertain. So the only thing I was able to do was drive in and drop bags of stuff into the hospital. And you know, that, that was kind of literally all I could do. But it made me very aware of Jesus Christ. Like I've been chasing myself in my life for God knows how long. And we all do it. Like it's not just me. And um, it was a real eye. We were very lucky then that my dad obviously is, is still here to tell the tale. So um, and is doing better than ever. He's turned himself into a little bit of a crossfitter and everything. So um, it, so that story ends well. But I know that story did not end well for a lot of people. And it was a very scary time. But I also think another thing that was scary about that time was how people treated each other. And it was a real eye opener to me of how people can react in fear and in panic and in under stress. And there was a lot of unkindness on social media and, you know, neighbours giving out about neighbours and, you know, um, it, a lot of people showed their tr their true colours through that time. But I but I do think that that time it, there was a lesson in that time for us all. And that, that what I took from it was it was time to slow down. It was time to actually look at my life, have a little bit of a reflection on what it is that I actually wanted to do with my life. And that's exactly what I did. And I took action and I just spent a bit of time with myself and everything changed. Yeah. And now it's funny now I lead a life, life where I, I listen to my I listen to my gut now, whereas before I would have always been like, no, I have to do this. I would all be, I should, should do this, have to do this, this, this. And I was constantly ch chasing. Whereas now I'm like, I'll say no more. I'll actually just connect in with my gut and be like, does this feel right? Do I really want to do this? Even in relation to things that, you know, I I have to do with my kids or whatever. Um, I'd be doing things that I, sh I felt I should be doing or, you know, it's even like stupid houseworky stuff. I'm like, oh, I should be doing this because this is what I'm supposed to do. And I'm like, now I just do what I want to do. And, you know, make sure that I'm not harming others in any way, obviously, and make sure that I'm kind to others. And I do believe that we're all here to serve in some way or other. So, you know, I hope that through my work that I'm able to do that, that I can provide value and help others. And then it's about protecting my own energy as well and protecting my family as well. And it it's a pity. I, I, it's funny. I, I hoped that the world would change a little bit um, with the experience of COVID, but it hasn't. And life has gone back to being as busy as ever. And I know there's lots of people out there like me who have made changes and things haven't ever been the same since. And I love hearing those stories. So like, do let me know if you have any stories like that, because I do love to hear um, people who've kind of turned their lives around and changed their lives totally. Um, it's, you know, it's so inspiring to hear. But yeah, so that is really my story with anxiety. I don't know if I, I hope I kind of described it well enough. Um, I think it's something that I'll always just be a little bit conscious of just to, to mind myself, but it's, it's lit. It is literally why I live my life the way I do now. Um, why I don't do things to harm my body anymore. Why I don't, um, where I'm very conscious of stress, why I like to exercise, you know, exercise to me is not about how I look. 
it's about how I feel and that will always be the most important thing. And it's something that I always try and put across to my clients. It has to be about what you feel. If you're doing something because you feel guilty like you should or, you know, if you're doing something, you feel like you're not doing it good enough or even because you're doing it, you don't look good enough or as good as you should you think it should look and um, these are all really harmful thought patterns and that's exactly the kind of way I work with clients to be like we need to lead this journey this journey is for life like what is the rush you know you may have a wedding you may have a holiday but at the end of the day this journey this health fitness lifestyle journey is for life and it is about finding joy on that journey and doing things because they make you feel good not because of how you look, because that at the end of the day, looks are fleeting and it's not what's going to make you happy. You may get as, as lean as you want. You may look a certain way for a certain holiday or a certain photo shoot, but then you have the anxiety of trying to keep it and the guilt cycle continues. So it is just feeling your way into what feels good and doing it for you and doing it for a really strong why. So when I start my people on my program, it always starts with what is your why for doing this program? My why is I never want to go back. So which is kind of, it's a little bit fear led. I'll probably, I'll let me try and kind of rephrase that. But yeah, deep down it comes from a, I don't want to go back to the old Kate who, who was driven by fear and who was in a vicious cycle of, of, you know, binge drinking and stressful weeks and trying to, yeah, trying, trying to survive basically in reaction mode and survival mode. I don't want to go back to her because I feel like I deserve better than that. So my why is to look after myself so that I can align with my true self so I can live my purpose. I can live the best life. I want to physically look after myself so that I can be emotionally and spiritually well. Also, so that I can look after my children, my family and actually just really enjoy life. So that is you know, a very long winded way of saying why I look after myself. And um, it's not a chore. And I just you know, wake up every day and I'm really, really grateful that I've got to this stage of clarity and I'm grateful for, for my experiences to have gotten me to where I am. And um, my ability to tell stories and to communicate this with you is still a work in progress. So I hope that some of that made sense and that you can get some value and that it's not too rambly. And um, Yes. So if you like it, let me know and uh, send me a message and um, you can share it on your stories and um, tag me in it and I will catch you all again next week.